Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Usually at this point in the podcast, I tell listeners that Ben is a legitimate automotive journalist, and you can find his work all over the internet. And, well, I guess I just did that. So, Ben, why don't you just tell everyone where they can find your work if they want to read more of your stuff? You got to stop saying the word legitimate, because there's nothing <laughs> less legitimate than assuring someone that you are legitimate. Yeah, that's okay. Ben, tell them where you, we, we can find your stuff. Or paying your podcasting partner to assure people that you are legitimate. Yeah, that, that's what we've been, do, we've been doing. You can find my work at a bunch of places. Uh, Driving Line, Haggerty, Business Insider, and Motor Trend are a few of them. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week we're going to talk about some compact? No, subcompact crossovers. Um, I've got the brand new Kia Seltos. And what I really like is... Um, usually an automaker will send you like the most fully loaded, extremely expensive, uh, version of a, of a new vehicle, uh, so that you get the whole sort of spiel of it. You know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen this before, right? Don't I? Uh, but this time I actually didn't get the most top trim model of the Kia Seltos. Instead, I got the EX model, which, uh, is about $26,000 rather than the top-loaded SX model, which is just under $30,000. So it's not that big of a price difference. But I have to tell you, um, I didn't really have huge expectations going into this, uh, getting into this vehicle, but uh, the Seltos seem, really seems like a solid product. And uh, later on in the week, I will be comparing it to a Mazda CX-30 as well as the Honda HRV. And I think the car that you drive, uh, you drove recently um, also competes with this, which we'll get to later. So what is it that you want to know about the Kia Seltos and what can I tell you about it? Well, first of all, you were saying, you know, when you first started that we were going to talk about compact SUVs and then you said, corrected yourself and went to subcompact. But what I want to know is, is there a difference anymore? Because it feels like the the, the gradations between these small crossovers are so fine that it's it's hard to tell just by looking at a vehicle what segment it's actually in. So I think you're what – I, what I think is funny is that uh, what is called a compact crossover is actually a very generously sized vehicle. I think most people will see the Honda CRV and Toyota RAV4 as um, compact uh, – they're, they're described as compact crossovers while uh, items like the Honda HRV or the Toyota CHR are considered subcompact. And that's where the Kia Seltos sits in. It's in that subcompact category. Um, that means the, the vehicle ahead of it or above it in terms of size and price is the Sportage, which um, I've always felt has not been a very strong competitor in its segment. Um, I don't think it's very spacious. I think it's been um, really kind of skewed toward trying to be a sporty vehicle. Um, and I think it has it shows too much of sort of its hatchbacky roots, um, something kind of like uh, a Kia Forte rather than. Um, a, a more generous sized vehicle like uh, an Optima, which which is bigger, obviously. So those compacts, which is funny, I think they share a lot in common with the compact crossovers seem to share a lot in common with mid-sized sedans. So that's why I think it's so funny is when you when you move up a size in in terms of body style. Uh, sorry, when you move into this, this the body style, you also go down a size in class. It's very weird. Does that make sense? 
It's a little no. complicated. I, I just think that it's it's hard to make sense of the segment. I mean, you can't do it based on pricing. You can't do it based on size. You can't really do it based on power anymore. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really murky. And I think that this is kind of the ultimate example of vehicles that are aimed we're, – we're starting to move past the point where automakers aim at a segment and instead they're targeting a customer. And okay. Yeah, I know, that's I, a great point. I, I know they used to – segments existed to kind of gather customers together and, and I get that. But – these days, it feels more and more like individual customers are being approached by cars that are more fine. And I say cars when I mean crossovers are just more finely tuned to a specific segment of the car buying population. Totally. I mean, when you look at Kia, they not only have the Seltos as the subcompact, but they also have like the weird in-betweener vehicles like the Nero and the Soul. I don't know if those are both considered subcompact, but I don't know if they're really considered um, like a compact hatchback or a or a um, a compact car. Right. I, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, to not know what these cars are, because yeah. it's those are when you go into a dealership. I mean, if you don't if you're not an enthusiast, what do you care? Right. You want a car that is going to fit into your lifestyle. But I think where it kind of gets a little weird and gray area is when so many of these vehicles are so similar to each other and trying to figure out which one is going to fit in your lifestyle becomes that much more difficult because it's it's hard to tell what the real differences are. Right. Um, I don't have that uh, that much of an issue with the Seltos. So let's get back to this because I want to make sure I, I get the, the specifics out about it. Uh, before we continue any further, I want to I want to make sure that you and the listeners kind of know what I'm talking about. The Seltos that I had is powered by a two-liter four-cylinder engine. It makes 146 horsepower and 132 pound-feet of torque, uh, and it's equipped with a CVT transmission. You can get a model with a 1.6-liter turbocharged uh, four-cylinder, which makes uh, 175 horsepower, I believe, and uses a an, an automatic. I think it's actually a dual clutch, but uh, a more conventional transmission okay um the the car actually feels really spacious um it has a ton of headroom it's got a pretty good rear seat uh pretty good rear seat space and uh it honestly lengthwise feels much bigger than um something that i think is like doesn't deserve to be called a subcompact crossover as we were mentioning before um it also has a good amount of cargo space with a maximum of 62 uh, cubic feet of storage, but I mean that, that's you, that's a lot. I mean that's only what ten cubic feet off of a Forester. Yeah, well, so that's really, like eight, yeah, yeah, sorry, yes, yeah, you're right. That's, so it that's is impressive. quite large. Yeah, um, I will admit, as usual, when it comes to any uh, of our any car from the Korean brands, it is packed with features, even in a uh, in a lesser trim, an EX, which isn't as as I mentioned, is not the top trim model. So. The notable things that I'm missing is dual zone climate control, and um, I think that's it, uh, and navigation. So instead, I'm using, um, what's it called, Android Auto, which works pretty well in this car. And it has um, automatic climate control, one zone, single zone climate control, but it has, this is a really weird question for you, to, for you but I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed, like, some German automakers, I think BMW does this. Where you can press auto on the climate control, but you can also like change the the, the strength of that auto function. You can make it do you, like. Do you really want me to get started on how non automated the auto function has become <laughs> for climate control? Because I was having this exact thought just the other day <laughs> when I was driving the X5M competition. It and not not only that though. You used to be 
you when automatic climate control first came out, you pushed one button and it controlled mm-hmm. not just the temperature but also the vents, right? Right. It would it would circulate the air in the way that it thought was the best to get to the temperature you had selected. But nowadays, in addition to what you just mentioned, this like force like a, a really hardcore automatic where it's blowing right yeah. in your face or like a soft automatic where you're not sure if it's on there's yeah. also an automatic that will make you choose the uh direction yeah, yeah the direction whether it's the floor vents or the face vents or the dashboard vents it's like auto doesn't mean auto anymore and so yeah, and, right. and i don't know what it means i don't know when i push the auto button whether it means temperature or whether it means vent or whether it means everything so there's my rant about what you're talking about so yeah i get into the car and i press the auto on the climate control to turn it on um and there's three lights on it and i'm like what on earth does those three <laughs> lights mean and so i'm press i'm changing like the the temperature and of course nothing's really changing in terms of the strength of how much the fans are blowing and all that jazz so, you know, I have to press the button again two more times to get it back to, to like, this one light, one single-strength automatic climate control, which I'm like, what is happening you're, right you're now? you're just so hopeful that you've made the right choice. Like, that's the thing, because there's no feedback that tells you. I, and this is a new thing. This is a very new thing. I'd say yeah. in the last two years is when this has started to trickle down to every vehicle. And I originally, I remember seeing it with BMWs. But at least in a BMW, if I remember correctly, if you press auto, it's on that that lowest setting first, not the other way yeah. around where well, you press I, auto and it's just like, oh, you want auto? Here it is. And man, like revs up all the fans. And now I have to press it a bunch more times to get it back, back and, down. And, and in a BMW, level. you're probably already confused by the buttons anyway. So <laughs> yeah. you're in that, you're in like a state of mind where you're like, okay, it's a treasure hunt. I got to figure this out, you know? But if you're in IKEA, you're used to things just working. <laughs> right. Uh, I also want to talk about another trend that I've noticed uh, in terms of attention to detail. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when looking at the HVAC buttons, like the the recirculate um, button on the HVAC settings, have you noticed that that, st- that stopped looking like a car, like a sedan? It used to be a sedan logo with a little like circular arrow inside it, and now it actually looks like an, a crossover in some vehicles. That's what the Celtos has. I, have you ever I, noticed I had this? A- I had a I had a funny noticing that something like that yesterday when I was driving. Um, I don't remember where I was, and there was a sign that was to warn you that there was like a, a locomotive or a train or something. But yeah. it was like a steam train from the <laughs> 1900s. And in my yeah. mind, I actually had this conversation with my my passenger, and I was like, "If you're born after 1990, you have no idea what's on that sign." Like no one has I I've barely seen steam trains and that's because my dad is a train enthusiast and we rode on them when I was a kid so I've seen them in real life but I, if you don't have that world if you don't have access to that world you have no idea what what's on that sign like it's this weird you I guess you would look at it and be like is that a highly stylized like version like logo of a train like it like it barely looks like a train I mean, we've seen that with, like, the save icon on, on computers, right? Like, the that that disk doesn't that hasn't been used in a really long That's time. That's true. That it means absolutely disk. nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And, and, and another one that you see is in construction zones where I see it the most where they're showing you uneven pavement. And mm-hmm. they have, like, a car from the 40s. And it's, like, seen from behind. And, like, one wheel's on the regular pavement and one wheel's on the cutout right. pavement. It's got, like, a, like a solid rear axle. Yeah, it's, it's just, like, it's the most whack-looking car. And yet, I guess they bought two billion of these signs back in the 40s and they still have to use them. Um, but you know what? That Actually, now that you brought that up, you know, speedometers um, no longer look like the – well, not – they're they're looking less and less like a traditional set of gauges. And whenever you look at the cruise control button, it 
is, I believe the design is of an arrow on a speedometer, right? Yeah, that's that's another good point. That's something and I had not thought of that till now. That's not changing at all either. Like, that's the same. I haven't seen that change yet at all, that logo. So, I mean, we're getting more digital digital gauge clusters. They can look like a bunch of arrows or, or bars or something. Um, and, and that's not changing with the times either. So I think that's interesting. Um, but yeah, this, this Kia Seltos, I mentioned the, the attention to detail in those buttons, um, automatic climate control with, with various speed settings, uh, Android auto and a nice, um, pretty functional, uh, um, infotainment system. The most, I think the most pressing question people will ask me is if the two liter engine is okay compared to the 1.6 liter turbo. Now, I haven't driven the 1.6 turbo, but I will say that the 2-liter seems pretty reasonable um, at getting up to speed. It is not a speed demon, of course, uh, but the fact is that uh, unlike other vehicles in this segment, I think maybe only the Kona is, and I guess the upcoming um, 2.5-liter equipped, um, what's it called, Subaru Crosstrek, are the other models with like upgradable engines or optional engines. So it's nice to know that if you don't like that two liter, that you have something there um, that can fill the void for you. It's a pretty big torque difference, though. It's about yeah. sixty pound feet. So and 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 that the torque from the turbo is going to be available much lower. I think it's forty five hundred RPM for the two liter. Right. So I'm assuming on the. I haven't seen the specs for the one point six, but I I gotta say it's under two thousand. I think if you've driven a Kona, it'll be very similar. As far as I can understand, the two cars are are mechanically very similar. Um, but as far as practicality, it looks and it feels like the Seltos isn't as cramped or compact as the Kona. And I think that's really important to bring out because one of the biggest complaints with the Kona, especially if you're over six feet tall, is that you'll feel um, that you're in something kind of small. And, yeah. and in some cases, it, it'll feel like you're looking at the headliner or the, the, the top of the roof rather than out the windshield. I'm not, uh, I'm not six feet tall, but I could easily see that in a Kona. And that doesn't seem to happen in the Seltos. It does feel and uh, and looks much more upright than the Kona. So I'm very happy that they've they've there's an option for people who liked everything about the Kona except for the spaciousness or the actual cabin feel. That's what you get with the Seltos. So it's pretty cool to have an option. I also wonder how long we're going to be okay with, um, or how long people are going to be okay with Kia and Hyundai essentially making the same car twice. Um, and selling them as two different products to people. I don't think I have a big issue with it because sometimes the cars really do showcase a different personality. But I think some people might might wonder why they would buy a Stinger for uh, why they might buy a, a G70 for example when they can get a Kia Stinger. I I well I don't think the G70 and the Stinger are all that similar. But uh, I think what you were mentioning. Uh, right now is what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, where it's just again, it's these gradual gradations. It's like a rainbow of crossovers. It's not, it's not a, a, a huge difference to get into a compact, a subcompact, or a sub subcompact, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So I think that that gives automakers a lot more freedom to kind of dress up their packages in different ways and sell to maybe the eight to nine percent of customers that really want a Kona, and then the other nine percent of customers who really want a Seltos. Right. Actually, I, I do want to bring up one thing that I think really um, gets in the buyer's head. Uh, a lot of people who I talk to say that they will go to a specific brand because they've had a good relationship with the dealership in the past. Of course. And 
I think when it comes to Hyundai and Kia, those relationships can be built on on their previous vehicles that they've had. And Kia has seen some success with some of its compact cars, like, say, the Soul or the Forte. And I'm not sure if Hyundai – Hyundai has, I think, much more a, a greater range of popular products. And you can see those people moving from up or down within their lineup um, much more easily. But I can see somebody going from a, from a Soul, for example, into a Celto saying, yeah, I wanted the all-wheel drive, for example. Yeah. Uh, and I can see that – I can understand that progression. Well, the other thing too is you never want a situation where a customer comes into your showroom, you show them one thing and it's not what they want and then you don't have anything else for them to look at in, right. in, in a specific price range, for example. So right. having those extra options, I mean dealers are really going to appreciate that. Um, I haven't yet uh, come out with, with – I mean I, I'm, I like this car. I do think that it's – I really do like the fact that I got this uh, mid-grade level. It showcases what people um, are more likely to be spending their money on. Yes, the powertrain is good enough, but it's not, like, exciting. And when you do put your foot down, this CVT, it, it is a – it's ruthless. It, it revs the engine all the way to redline and holds it there, and you hear it. It is extremely loud. So That's what you like. You like being subjected to that kind <laughs> yeah. of experience. It is ruthless, truly, and you have to be okay with that noise, or you have to be a little bit more, um, or less, sorry, lead-footed, I think, is the, is the word I'm looking for. I just drive with noise-canceling headphones at all times. Doesn't everybody do that? I don't think so, man. I actually think that might not be allowed anymore, at least in my, in, in my home um, province. What are you, the um, headphones I, police? <laughs> I think that the cops may consider that uh, distracted driving now. Really? Distracted driving? With headphones in, I think so. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way. I mean, to... not like you to hear them pulling you over with your head, your noise canceling headphones. Well, I mean, it's not like it's not like pouring cement in your ears. I mean, you do hear some things. You just don't hear what you've just described. <laughs> <laughs> love the, sorry, I love that. I love that description. Pouring cement in your ears. <laughs> yeah, you, you never. No one ever did that to you on the schoolyard when you were a kid. Maybe I no. had. A, maybe I had a much darker childhood than you did. <laughs> schoolyard had a cement mixer <laughs> maybe i should have kept my mouth shut sammy that's true so um i will also admit i'm not a huge fan of the styling of the seltos it has this really weird unibrow thing going on on the front uh a light bar or a chrome bar that goes uh that connects the two headlights and it really looks awkward um i'm not a big fan of that it's all very upright and um and like i don't know kind of sci-fi techie um like a and i'm not a yeah, kind of. I don't and I'm think not a... it looks bad, though. I think I think it's kind of a handsome-looking vehicle. Yeah, I mean, when the alternative is something really boring-looking, let's say um, the HRV, the Honda HRV. Yeah, the Seltos looks good. What I what I appreciate about the Seltos is it's it's not overwrought. Okay. Um, you it's can... rare in this segment, though. I think only the Toyota CHR is an overly styled vehicle. In yeah, this you segment. can. You, CHR is a great example of what I was going for because I think you can put too many creases and angles on a smaller body style, and yeah. it just looks too busy. And there's a decent number of that, a decent amount of that going on with the Kia, but it never really crosses the line. Like there's a lot of creases up front, and there's a lot of creases in the rear. But if you look along the sides, it's relatively smooth. And I think that, that that's, that's a nice contrast. Uh, and then finally, I'll discuss the, the ride quality of this car. It is, it's totally acceptable. It's not great. It's totally not acceptable. Uh, it is really, um, I wouldn't, it's borderline anonymous. I wouldn't call it uh, exciting or uh, agile to drive. It just gets the job done. And I think that's 
you know, as long as it's it's responding to your inputs um, without much complaint, and it's not um, kind of like bubbling over on potholes or uneven pavement, that's that's a good that's a good thing to have. So, Sammy, if, cars, if, if you if I was just sorry to interrupt, but if you were going to put together the advertising for this campaign, yeah. f- for this vehicle, it yeah. would be relentless and borderline acceptable. <laughs> The Kia Celtics. The relentless, the relentless noise of this engine will lead to a, a borderline acceptable ride quality. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, solid interior, really nice set of features. I hope you like pressing the automatic climate control button a bunch of times in order to get to your. Mine's worn out. You know me. <laughs> um, but there's also the the upgradable engine. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it fares in a comparison that I have. Uh, as I mentioned, I'll be comparing it to the CX30 and the. Uh, Honda HRV, um, and if if you want, we can talk about that next week when after I've conducted the comparison. We'll see. The most important thing to talk about, though, is that the Mazda does not use a CVT; it uses a six-speed automatic, and it also features a slightly bigger engine, a two-point-five-liter four-cylinder that makes one hundred eighty-six horsepower. But of course, that also impacts the weight of the vehicle and uh, the fuel economy of the vehicle, which I think has been. Um, a low point for Mazda with this generation of three and CX-30. They just don't feel as exciting or as fun to drive as, say, the CX-3 or the Mazda 3 did before. Sammy, I have a confession to make. Tell me about it. You know how some people, they drive around and they keep their hand on the shifter all the time? Yes. Like, so when I first started driving on the racetrack, I had instructors. Mm-hmm. I did that all the time. And I had instructors continue, continually telling me, what are you doing? What are you doing? Both hands on the wheel. Your hand yes. on the shifter can't help you. Your hand on the wheel can help you immensely. But you know what my new bad habit is? What is it? I just drive around with my finger pushed onto the automatic climate control button. I just hold it there the whole time I'm driving. (laughs) And then by the end of like the week, I've worn all of the print off of that button. The print and the colors, right? Yeah, and people are like, why is Ben always touching that blank button on the dash? And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I know it's not blank, but I'm not going to correct you. So you just love, and I also need to add, like, automatic climate control also seems so, um, like, spastic in its action. Like, sometimes you'll press it, and it, like, is very gentle, it's nice, it just changes the climate. Sometimes it's like you're pulling the dive, (laughs) the the dive button on a submarine, and it's just like, all of the outside air in the world is hitting you in the face immediately. I know what you mean. What is the deal with that? I don't know. It's like it's like that's it's like an emergency button. It's like you yeah. push that button and the climate control's like, uh oh, things aren't good. We have to do something crazy to shake up the status quo in this car, and it, it defaults to max blower. You want something that we cannot we cannot deliver. Just just make a scene. Go for it. Yeah. Um, it's like yeah. the tantrum button for a toddler. Yes. So that's what I thought about the Seltos. I think what you have is a little bit more of an interesting vehicle, and I don't know why I think that. Uh, maybe because it's a, it's a return of a nameplate. So why don't you tell everybody what you drove? So so we were talking before we started recording the podcast about the where exactly does the 2020 Chevy Trailblazer fit into the crossover cr- conversation? Because all of the stuff that we talked about with the Seltos about, you know, how do you tell what's what in the crossover SUV world? It really applies to the Trailblazer to the point where it applies within its own showroom, Sammy, because this is, like you said, it's a reviving a name of a vehicle that we haven't seen in a long time. There was a somewhat lackluster SUV made in the early 2000s by Chevrolet called the Trailblazer that was much larger. I think there was a three-row version. I'm not sure. They made an SS version with a 5.3 and a, I don't know, I don't know if it got more than a 5.3. Anyway. 
Yep. It was a it was <laughs> it was a sweet sounding engine if I remember correctly. Yeah, but it wasn't all that quick. Anyway, whatever. It was not a great vehicle. It didn't ride well. It was part of the the whole platform sharing ethos and that part of GM's history, which was about to go off the rails. And they decided to bring that name back as a subcompact crossover that's extremely different. But Sammy, they did it at the same time as they have another subcompact crossover in the showroom called the Chevrolet Trax. And right. a lot of us thought when the Trailblazer appeared that it was going to replace the tracks, which would make sense. But instead, right. instead, it's going to complement the tracks. So what we were just talking about with the Kona and the Seltos is kind of doubled down by Chevrolet with the Trailblazer and the tracks. I think you're I think you're onto something here, but there's a lot of business I think that needs to be discussed as as well. First of all, I didn't expect that. That the, I thought the Trailblazer, I thought the Trax was, was sorry, <clears throat> I thought the Trax was a decent size as it is, um, and I didn't expect that something could fit in above it um, before the Equinox. Wait, I, you, you say know, you like, say above it? You're saying the Trailblazer is larger than the Trax? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. What? Because it really doesn't look like it from the outside. No, it is bigger. It is almost five inches or six inches longer than it. It has much more cargo space. The, the Trailblazer has much more cargo space than the tracks, which is weird because I think the starting prices of the vehicle um, suggest that the Trailblazer is it's, it's a cheaper product. Well, the, the Trailblazer starts at under $20,000. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And where's the tracks? The tracks I think starts at uh, twenty two or or yeah twenty two or twenty one thousand dollars. Okay, now that that's a little weird, so, isn't it? So I've driven I've driven the tracks in the past. I have no quarrel with it. I thought it was. A, I, oh come on! You wouldn't recommend it to anybody though, would you? Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But when I first drove it, it's been a while. When it yeah. came out, it was a perfectly acceptable, <laughs> yeah, perfect. form of basic crossover transportation. Flash forward to 2020, things have gotten a lot more competitive, and I think. The Trailblazer is much better at capturing the customers that Chevrolet is looking for in this segment. But mm-hmm. I think the pricing reflects something that we had discussed about how the Trax was probably uh, all of the tooling, manufacturing, and technology costs for the Trax were factored in a long time ago. And as things have gotten cheaper and as new plants have opened, old plants have closed, and you know technologies for making these vehicles have changed, it's it's possible to make a better vehicle for less money. So they're kind of locked in probably to the tracks pricing, and mm-hmm. uh, that's going to hurt them from a sticker shock perspective. We all know that no one buys a domestic vehicle based on the window sticker. There's always incentives. There's always rebates, and I think the tracks is also a vehicle that's very popular with rental car companies. Yeah, so that's going to keep it alive for a while. Uh, GM has a history of making rental car exclusives like the uh, the Captiva, which is a great right. name, I think. Um, that was uh, available. I think they could. I think you could buy it retail in Mexico, but in North America, it was only available to um, fleet buyers. So the tracks is going to come up with this name, Captiva. Like Captiva sounds like it's like <clears throat> Activa, like in the, like from IBM. No, like Activa. the root, like the root word of Captiva it's, sounds it's like captive. Captive. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. I be in that car. That would be like why? Why not just call it like the Chevrolet heist? You know? <laughs> no, it's more like the Chevrolet like hostager or something. Wow, hostagem. <laughs> yes, it's a combination. It's like you know how you know how, you know how Porsche. Loves their compound words like and Volkswagen. So you had like Tiguan was like tiger and iguana. Hostagem yeah. is a combination of hostas, which are a plant everyone loves, and gems, which are beautiful and valuable uh, minerals. Right. Hostagem. Yeah. 
Our favorite new model this year. Okay. So Trailblazer is neither none of those things that we just talked about. Yeah. It is um, a little cute ute. It looks really good, actually. I love the design yeah. of it. Yeah, it looks it looks hot. It's got especially if you get my vehicle had the so there's a ton of trims, right? You can get like a base front wheel drive. You can get a loaded all wheel drive. Mine was like second from the top. They make two trims called Active and RS, and they're the same price, and they just kind of look different. Uh, but mine had like a cool contrasting color roof, which I think okay. is like something they you know you often see on like a mini, and I think on a smaller vehicle, it's a nice way of adding personality. Um, it, I was surprised by a few things about the vehicle. First okay. of all, let's, let's go down the list. Let's see. list of surprises. The first surprise is it's actually pretty useful. Uh, the, what? the, yeah, the cargo space. So it's not as big as a Celtos. It's only, mm-hmm. uh, 56 cubic feet. I want to say so okay. 54. So it's, uh, you know, maybe like six cubic feet, seven cubic feet less than the Celtos, but right. There's a decent amount of room behind the back seat to haul stuff, and it doesn't look like that from inside the vehicle. The angle of the seat really makes it look like there's zero trunk, but that's not true. And then if you fold it down, I was able to carry – I was doing some work on one of my garages, and I had to carry shovels and a whole bunch of stuff that was long. And I folded down the seats, and it was no problem. It was very useful. So that was one of the – that's surprise number one. Nice. Surprise number two. No tires? You weren't hauling any tires? No, not this time, Sammy. If if I'm going to haul tires – you're gonna be the first. You're gonna be the first to find out. Yeah, you're tagged. So the the other cool thing about the Trailblazer that surprised me was the engine. Um, okay. There's really? two. Op- yeah, there's two options. They're both. They both sound like super underwhelming on paper. Uh, it's like a 1.2 liter turbo three cylinder Ooh, okay. and a, and get get ready for this a 1.3 liter. <laughs> oh, good choice. Good. Turbo. That's a that's a wide range of Tur- engines. Yeah. 1.2 Tur- or 1.3 here. So it's um, it's weird, man. Like I don't get that, but hmm. they're pretty far apart in in terms of power. I'm curious. Are these new engines? I'm, I'm trying to remember where I've seen a 1.2 or a 1.3 from. From Chevy in the past, and I can't recall off the top uh, of my head. I can't remember. I can't can't recall either for the for the okay. turbos. But the, the the one that I drove had 155 horsepower and 174 pound feet of torque, which is fairly close to that Celtos Turbo 1.6. Okay, like within uh, 15 horsepower. Yeah, it it does sound pretty good, and I imagine. It, like, oh, sorry, 15 engine, pound feet. Sorry. 155 horsepower, right? That's what you said. Yes. The, it's more powerful than the than the Celtos. No, no, no. I mean the 1.6 liter. In oh, the yeah, the 1.6. Yeah, it's it's almost on on par with the upgraded engine in the one point in the Celtos. So, and it felt good. It it was fast. Yeah. So so the 1.2 is 137 horsepower, and the 1.3 is available with every other trim, and it's standard okay. standard at the top half. And if you get all wheel drive, it's standard anyway. So the 1.2 has very limited availability. But uh, the other thing about the vehicle that makes it so surprising um, that they chose these small these these small displacement engines is because they have two transmissions, Sammy. There's a CVT. There's a nine-speed automatic if you get all-wheel drive and get the 1.3. So I was like, a 1.3-liter engine with a nine-speed transmission is going to be shifting constantly. That mm-hmm. was my fear. I was like, it's just going to be... It's so jarring when you have that experience with a vehicle where you just it just doesn't seem to be able to keep in the power band, and it's like having too many options just makes the engineers go crazy, and they're like, "Oh, we want to choose the perfect ratio for every situation," and it can get tiresome. That did not happen in the trailblazer. Oh no way! That's yeah. great. That's good news. Okay, I did a little bit of research while you're going off on your on your rant about ratios, uh, and this engine, I it, it does exist elsewhere in the uh, Chevrolet, the GM. 
um, product lineup. It's he actually found it in the new Buick Encore GX. So I wonder if those two cars are, are... their their profit their their platform shared. It's exactly the same car. Okay, so that's that makes sense. All right, so back to it. This automatic didn't jump between gears all the time. No, so nine speed. It uh, it felt like it knew what it was doing. I didn't really notice the gear changes. And the other thing I didn't really notice is that crazy thrashing noise that you were talking about from the two liter engine that you had. I mean, it doesn't right. sound great when you step on it, but it didn't really sound terrible either. It sounded kind of like what I expected it to sound for the price point, which on my car, I think was around twenty five, twenty six thousand, And on the base cars is, like we said earlier, just under twenty. Well, I mean, there's some some um, of these really like nine and ten speed automatics like feel like CVTs at time. They just like drop it down, drop the 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 gear to the lowest possible ratio, and then just rev it out till it's making so much noise and it's painful on the ears. But then other automatics, they'll kind of like step down in in levels. Like you 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 put your foot down, and they'll go to the next lowest gear and they realize you want a little more and they'll go down to the next lowest gear and that can be also very tiring how did it feel in this you you, you're saying that you pressed your foot down and it put it into this really nice power band or torque band where you had space to 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 accelerate the vehicle i I need to make clear the vehicle is not fast and it it is noticeably not fast but (laughs) i never felt the need to drive it quickly and driving it in a relaxed manner I think really rewards your experience. It's not something you're going to want to hustle or kind of, if, if you're a, a driver who's always darting in and out of gaps in traffic and, and cursing other drivers and just, you know, if you're an angry commuter, I don't think the trailblazer is going to be the vehicle for you. Cause it's, okay. it's a relaxed kind of experience. Um, it it just feels like a really good first car if you want to have a brand new car that has decent space inside and doesn't cost you a lot of money. But that last part, Sammy, you should not be spending $30,000 on this truck, which you can do if you go all the way up to the um, RS trim, I guess, or the active trim and start loading on options. So, so this is the most surprising thing about your assessment of the vehicle because the other products, as I mentioned, if it is comparable to a Seltos, which maxes out at $29,000, um, but a Mazda goes up to 30000 a Honda HRV goes up to 30000 It shouldn't be that unexpected, right? But you're saying it just doesn't feel worth because it. Because this, ve- this vehicle is smaller than your Seltos. So, it's not by much, man. Well, by by a decent margin. Okay. And I think that, you know, like, if you want – like, let's say in the in the Trailblazer, mine had a power lift gate and mm-hmm. it had a sunroof. So that's a package. It had a power lift gate in a yeah. tiny subcompact car? That yes. seems kind of – that seems extravagant. Like- yeah, it, it, and let me tell you how extravagant it is because that the, those two things come together in a package. Sun and liftgate package is $1,700 extra. But if you want those, you have to also buy the driver confidence package, which oh, is yeah. the extra safety gear, and the convenience package, which is automatic climate control, hey, 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 and um, a whole bunch of other stuff. And that together, it's like twenty seven hundred bucks. So death to your wallet via a bajillion option packages. Yes, that you can't avoid. You can't avoid them. So like, and and you can even add a technology package, which is going to upgrade your infotainment system from seven inches to eight inches. And you get, you get Bose audio. You get a color driver information screen. You get wireless charging. This is the stuff that was in my car. You're at thirty thousand dollars once you do that. I don't think this vehicle is necessarily a good buy at that point. Right. Um, I think you need to stick to stuff like the like an LT version of the car. 
even that though, it's still twenty four grand. If you want, if you want to keep it under twenty thousand, you're gonna to have to accept no equipment and no all wheel drive. Okay. So if you add all wheel drive to all the stuff I just talked about, Sammy, mm-hmm. you're at twenty seven nine ninety five already from when you start. And then if you add the gear that I had, you are at like thirty two thousand. Yeesh. Okay, that is a bit much. So um, I, I just can't justify a thirty-two thousand dollars Trailblazer. I feel like what what other SUVs that are larger? Could you get a Forester for that amount of money? Yeah, for sure, no problem. So, unless you unless you really are focused on the size in terms of parking and driving in the city, I I think it's a tough sell for that money. Um, okay, it does. Also, the fuel economy is good, but not amazing. So it's not like you're you're getting a small vehicle with a small engine and you're going to get crazy fuel mileage. It's like 31 miles per gallon in the real world uh, on the highway and uh, the combined the official combined number is like 28 miles per gallon. So it's, it's not a Prius, you know, like No, but it's not bad. That's that's about no, it's, it's not for bad, an all-wheel drive. But I'm saying like bad. if you pay 30 grand for this instead of a Forester, you're not going to be blown away by the difference at the fuel pump. Okay, I want you to talk to me about this name though. Um, first of all, not the active trim, which I don't know what that means. Is it active in any way? And why did they run out of the E at the end of it? Are they going to make a, a hybrid or electric model that if has you pay the E that you're missing? If you pay 33000 you get the E. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, that's where it is. Um, but Trailblazer, is it okay to use this nameplate on a car that has so little in relationship to the original Trailblazer? Yeah, the older know, Trailblazer. The older Trailblazer wasn't great, so anything they can do to wipe the memory of that from people's minds, I think, is a positive. I, I would take this Trailblazer over the old Trailblazer any day. Oh wow! Okay, I think I had a relatable car than the. Tra- Wait, hold on. Which 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 level Trailblazer are we talking about? Like the one that was really like an Envoy, like a GMC yeah, Envoy. Yeah, like that. Oh, like an okay. Envoy. I was thinking of the like, the one before that. We used to have a GMC Jimmy that was pretty solid. Yeah, but that's not a Trailblazer. No. The okay. Trailblazer started, I think it's a GMT, I can't remember the name of it, 380? I don't remember the name of the platform, but it was under everything. It was like the 97X from Saab. There was like a Buick version. Yes, that's what it is. GMT 360. 360, yeah. So it, it was... It, it was a dark time. <laughs> and so you're saying that was a was a dark spot for GM and uh by by like their their performance and sort of uh men in black men in black neuralizer you could say that the, yeah the 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 current trailblazer neuralizes or exercises the the memory of the old trailblazer. I mean it's it's fun and it's cheerful. It's too much money if you want to load it up and it's not like a huge benefit to loading it up. It's not like the stereo is amazing if you pay more for it. It's not like the infotainment's amazing. You you get some it's a decent touchscreen and you get some more apps and gadgets if you're into that. But uh the, the interior materials never really rise up to the point where you feel like you're in a $30,000 car. So there, there's that too. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, so that's one of the most actually disappointing. I mean, I don't know if it's disappointing, but it is stand out in many of these uh subcompacts that can reach $30,000 is that the materials that and the, the choice of materials that are st- are being used in these vehicles have not risen up to that level. You're 100% right. The door panels will be hard um and, and the and the, the seats will never feel like the real leather or or, or comfortable or yeah, luxurious and it's not like it's bad like i'm not saying that um you're inside and you're in you're inside the interior of this this trailblazer and you're like oh this is terrible it just doesn't feel like a thirty thousand dollar vehicle it, it feels fine and if you're spending that much money you should it should feel better than fine i, I want to offer talk about the fact that in canada it starts at like twenty three thousand. so okay. the the pricing is a little bit more um 
And uh, it, but does it come? It probably comes standard with all-wheel drive in Canada, right? No, it does not. Oh, really? Yeah. So you're Ooh, still missed opportunity there. You're still facing a very similar uh, trim level um, aspect. So it, the the vehicle, if if you the one that, but what's interesting, <laughs> Sammy, about the pricing is the active trim level on its own is thirty three thousand Canadian before options. So like it's similar Jeez. to the U.S. price, but you have to take thirty percent off of that money. Yeah. Right for the exchange. So the model that I drove with all the bells and whistles and whatnot was like probably close to thirty five, thirty six thousand. Ouch. Okay, no deal. That's awful. Okay, forget yeah. that. So um, so stick with a low trim. Get all wheel drive if you want it. It's an interesting all wheel drive system. I've kind of railed on them in the past. It's the one where you have to push the button to get it. Oh yeah, good. <laughs> so uh, I'm not a huge fan of that because I feel like if you buy a feature, it should be available when you need it all the time and. Um, a lot of the time that looks like a slip and grip feature for all-wheel drive where it's a front-wheel drive crossover until there's wheel spin and then you get all-wheel drive. But with this truck, you're not gonna, that's not going to happen. You're going to have to be on the ball and just know that it's slippery and put it in all-wheel drive. I think that's a little confusing. GM has done it in the past. Other companies have done it in the past. Not a huge fan. But again, um, this is not a vehicle you're ever going to be going off-road with. So it's, it's weird. It's like why not just put a slipping grip in there? Totally. Um, I want to talk about the size of these vehicles um, uh, and the predecessors. Like, the Trailblazer uh, sounds like a pretty good car, uh, a crossover, but my mem- if my memory serves correctly, the, what was it called? The Sonic wasn't, just a, wasn't a necessarily awful vehicle. It was one that was just never touched up by GM ever. Yeah, I've, I've always liked the Sonic, and you've hit exactly the you've hit the nail exactly on the head. I mean, like we were talking about the tracks, the Sonic and the tracks were introduced and then left. They were left yeah. to, to just stay on the vine. And if you like it, great. And if you don't like it, move on and buy something else, which is really too bad. Um, I think that this is bigger than the. Obviously, it's larger than a Sonic. I think it has more cargo space, not a huge amount, but more. And I think it has a bit more cargo room as well. And plus, you get the all-wheel drive. So. It's yeah. obvious that GM wasn't selling enough Sonics in the subcompact hatch segment to justify its existence. A Trailblazer coming in and taking over, it's not all that different from a mm-hmm. driving experience. I mean, you can't get a manual. There's no cool RS. Yeah. Uh, but there is an RS, but it's not cool. It's not like cool. It's not, it's, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's just different. It has a massive grill. Uh, that's all I can tell. And so, red accents inside. I just, I just, it's a cheerful vehicle. And I was surprised okay. by that. I, ex- I expected to get in and be kind of disappointed uh, but you know, I haven't driven the the the, the Hyundai Venue. Is a similar vehicle. I haven't driven that yet. Um, so the Venue is front wheel drive only. So I think the Trailblazer is a bit is is a different like level. It's very bizarre. Like, you're right. There's so many different di- like levels of these, and there are cars that seem like they would compete with. Like we mentioned, the CHR from Toyota seems like it would be a pretty good fit here. It's a really stylish looking car. It's got a nice interior and. Um, it could be pretty expensive, well-equipped, but it is only offered in front-wheel drive. So there goes your argument there. It's so bizarre. You're right that there's like these lines drawn in the in between the, the automakers saying, no, we don't compete in that segment because our car is different in this way. But they are, they, they're like the same price, man. It's all so <laughs> bizarre. Okay, well, that, that, that kind of wraps up uh, all I had to say about the Trailblazer. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about this week? Uh, no, I did want to tell our listeners about the new Genesis G70, which um, got an update recently, it uh, like a like a facelift, and it looks gorgeous. It so does look I, good. 
I would encourage them to take a look at this thing and go, yes, I agree, Sammy, that looks gorgeous. And <laughs> they can easily do that by coming onto our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. When you go there, uh, there's a contact form. You press contact. You fill out the form. It lands in our inbox, and I can – I can be delighted in the way that you have agreed with me in terms of the Genesis G70. And, and Sammy will personally send you a photo of the G70 if you ask him for the G70 photo. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, he calls it his commitment to quality. I don't know what that means. We, but, have to, we have to commit to something, and I figured quality was a good idea. Well, I right? certainly can't commit to sugar-free. I tried. Yes. Uh, when you go to the website, you can also subscribe to our podcast using a variety of buttons on the top of the site. Uh, you can also see all of our past episodes, uh, as well as photos or articles related to the cars that we were talking about, which is pretty cool. And if uh, you if you wanted to get in touch with us in other ways, uh, you can do that in on social media most effectively. Sammy is on the cesspool that is Twitter. You can find him there at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can find me on Instagram, which is a much friendlier and happier place. I'm at Hunting Benjamin. Or you could email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Very cool. And do you know what uh, cars you'll be driving next week, Ben? Yes, next week I will be driving the Cadillac CT4, CT4V. Sammy, did we not talk about this recently? No, I drove the CT5V. I know oh, again with the confusing nomenclature. Okay, so that's going to be that's going to be a good episode then. Uh, and I actually have two hybrid sedans. I've got the Accord hybrid and the Camry hybrid. So that'll be Don't. a nice fuel efficient uh, uh, shootout there. Don't plug them in at the same time. You'll blow the breaker. Okay, well, will do. So I can't wait to talk to you next week, and I can't wait for our listeners to hear all about it. See ya. Bye.